Hello, welcome to another episode of Raise the Curve. I got up this morning and was graced with a very interesting article that connected with one of the topics that I have on my episode playlist, which is in connection with online classes. So Chronicles of Higher Education had posted an article today uh, giving us a brief overview of a new research study coming out about online cheating. And this particular article focused on a study that some researchers did where they had um, essentially Confederate participants <laughs> um, embarking on uh, seeking out services, uh, other services, online services that would basically take the course for them, that would do the entire course for them. Uh, that includes tests and discussion boards and writing assignments. Uh, and they would pay, in this case, this particular student had paid, I think, $917. And he got, he or she, I think it was a, a he, at least the, um, the anonymous name was a gentleman's name, uh, got the whole course. The only thing that this service, this organization was not able to do was there was a video presentation, but they gave the student a whole bunch of slides with a script and basically said that as long as you just repeat all this stuff, you're fine. And then of course the researchers, um, their task was to identify which one of the students in this mock course, uh, which one of the students had all of them, I think, at actually had. You'll have to read the article. Um, let me see if I can pull up the title of it so that y'all can go check it out if you want to. It's pretty darn tootin' interesting. Uh, here it is. In a fake online class with students paid to cheat, could professors catch the culprit? And so it was really interesting. And I had this as a topic, um, but this will be... I had, an, I had online classes as a topic, and I'll peruse that topic separately in another session. Uh, basically, that topic will focus on whether or not online courses are actually the best course for a student. And this is more on the front end with advising and uh, admissions, registration, but also just with students' awareness in general, too. And, and parents, too. A lot of time, parents, they think that in high school um, that students get exposed to a lot of online components, and then that means that they're ready for an online college course. But I'll save that topic for another day. I think that's going to be a really interesting one. But based off of this article this morning, I thought, oh, this is great, because I have personally been struggling over the years with my frustration about uh, cheating the ease of cheating in online courses, not that students can't cheat in a face-to-face -face class because we know they can, uh, but I, I find that the online component makes it a lot easier to cheat, and so I'm, it's very frustrating. The difficult part is figuring out as a professor how to navigate those waters. Um, you know, it can be very daunting, and I completely empathize and understand if instructors are like, you know what, if the student decides that they want to cheat, that's on them. And they'll either, I don't know what other rationalization a prof would do. This is probably a few of the things that I would be saying is, you know, that's either going to hurt them later on. If they want to have that particular approach, um, 
you know, you gotta give him props for tenacity, (laughs) motivation, creativity. I don't know. Anyways, yeah, I mean, it's understandable to to have those particular thoughts in connection with kind of just taking a back seat to navigating, uh, facilitating, creating your course that's pretty tight. Now, even if you are a fantastic uh, test exam quiz question creator, that is not something I am very good at. So I use a lot of the publisher questions or questions that I got from the publisher or a test bank and revise them based off of how I wanted to deliver that particular information. But I have many colleagues who create their own test questions. Even if you do that, these folks can pay someone to take the entire course for them. To me, it was just flabbergasting. Even though in the back of my mind, I knew that that was out there. This particular study talks about percentages in relation to the probability of students having some element of their online course being fraudulent, but that quite a bit actually of the course would be fraudulent. So we know, and if you don't know, (laughs) here, here is some interesting facts. Students can basically copy and paste test questions, and I've ran my own research on this, uh, into a Google search engine or into the Google search engine, copy and paste it from the test, from whatever LMS you're using, and boom, get the answer. Just like that. Um, You know, the, the test banks for all the publishers, all the books, they're out there for everybody to see, even open education resource, which obviously that I can kind of see how that would be pretty, you know, it's open education. So, but yeah, so all of that um, is accessible and students can request that or pay for someone to write their paper for them. I mean, I've experienced different things in my classes where I'm thinking to myself, the comment that you made on that versus what you wrote, the discrepancy is so vast that we can't help but be thinking, hmm, did you write that original paper? I mean, there should not be a lot of discrepancy between, you know, even if they're editing a paper, I get that, you know, they're editing it. Maybe they're taking it in to the tutoring center. They're getting someone who's a writing tutor to help them. I understand that, but there's, there's usually commonalities as we notice in the way that they present information. So whether they present it in a written assignment and then they comment on a student, another classmate's post or comment on their own or do an intro thing, we can see that the, okay, you know, that's pretty much the students. It's very difficult. It is very difficult. I mean, I technically, we don't even know if in a face-to-face class that that student is literally that student. I don't go around on the first day and say, hey, I want to see your student ID. If we really want to to do that, if we really want to, um, I don't know what the word is, but to put our foot down about that, if we really want to secure that all the students in our class are in fact these students who register for the class and not a friend or a partner or a family member, then that first day we should be expecting them to to uh, take out their student ID and back it up with a picture. (laughs) Now, with online, I have set up a few things 
And I think it has a lot to do with the software and how your comfort level, which again, if you're teaching an online course, in my opinion, you should be fairly comfortable with online navigation. You should be fairly comfortable with technology. If you're not fairly comfortable, because remember, you're the teacher. It's not just about that you know more content. Yes, that's obviously numero uno. You need to know you are the content, the subject matter expert. But the way in teaching is not about just simply talking about your discipline. Teaching is a skill. Many refer to it as an art. It is a way of doing things, of doing something, pedagogy. There's a whole discipline about it, education. So we need to kind of get out of that mentality of, well, I'm the subject matter expert. This is my area. I'm just going to, I'm going to talk about what it is and they have to figure it out. I'm not saying that most educators feel that way, but a lot of times there's this misunderstanding about, well, they're just, that's, they're good at that area. You know, no, it's about how do you, how do you deliver that? How do you present information um, and assess students? Anyways, but there's a lot of tools out there like Respondus, uh, Honor Lock, Lockdown Browser, many others. Those are just the ones that I'm familiar with. And you have to be fairly tech savvy because the students are going to be coming to you. Now, sure, you could try to, you could basically pass the buck and say, hey, if you're having problems with this software, um, you need to contact the software. This is me saying this right now. If you're going to use that software, if you're going to choose to use that software, then you need to know what's going on because you need to be the POC. You need to be the point of contact. Now there's gonna be some hiccups where you're like, I have no idea. And that's when you reach out to either your distance learning department, your tech department, your IT department, or the software company itself. And you do that. You do that with the student because you need to model to them what's gonna happen, especially at a, I teach at a community college. So we have a lot of students, obviously they're freshmen and sophomores, but we have a lot of students who are gonna be transferring, a lot of transfer students. And we wanna make sure we equip them to be as successful as possible at that transfer institution. Plus we wanna make sure that the skills that they're modeling when they go to that transfer institution makes us as the community college sending them over that way <laughs> look good. And if they go out into the work world, yeah, they need to be able to know how to navigate, figuring out how to problem solve. Well, that's part of a soft skill that we're supposed to teach them. But I digress. <laughs> we need to know what's going on. Now, some, sometimes some of y'all may have uh, requ that it's required. If you want to teach an online course and you're pretty comfortable with those elements there, don't teach an online course just to fill your just to fill your caseload, your teaching load. If you don't like online, if you're not very tech savvy, if you don't really want to be engaged in that course, then don't do it. That's my personal opinion, <laughs> uh, because the students are going to the the students are going to suffer for that. Anyways, but if you have an institution that requires, hey, you have to use Respondus, you have to use Honor Lock, you have to use this. Uh, plagiarism, you have to use safe assign, whatever it is, then they should have a department that is, that is in support of that. Meaning that they'll troubleshoot, they'll do support, they'll give you tech support for that. Um, so that's great because you can have other folks help you out. 
But, um, you know, use those. Use those to the best of your ability. Now, I ran into some troubles with Respondus, with Respondus the webcam part, uh, in a summer class that I was rolling out. I learned pretty quickly that in order for the students to continue to go, I needed to remove that piece, the webcam piece, and just keep the lockdown browser part until I and my DL department was able to figure out what the heck was going on and set up specific step-by-step -step video, you know, really make sure, because it was kind of the first time you, I roll it out. I rolled it out for me. Um, but then the next semester, I reintroduced it with, whatever I had in place with this instructions, you know, I made it, made sure that students could play around with it and get it set up before, before they had their first exam. So I just put it on some small, low stakes kind of thing in the, in the first week, you know, play around with those things. Um, use SafeAssign if you have an LMS or, or some kind of plagiarism checking and take the time to do that. Take the time to do that because if we, on the psychology side of the house, if we as instructors, there's going to be things that are going to squeak through the cracks. I get that. But if we as instructors do not communicate feedback to that student that cheating is, well, it's immoral, but it is not okay, then, and, and these are the consequences Right? It is essentially positive, positive punisher, which in the world of, of operant conditioning is to minimize a behavior, also known as a punisher, you need to either add something that's uncomfortable or, or adversive that they hate or remove something. So you could really look at it as a positive or negative, but really the negative would be uh, removing something that they like. So whether you give them a zero, whether you pull them from the course, whether you have a conversation with them about it, basically communicating through feedback, you know what they've done, you see it, that is at least letting them know, aha, they may continue that behavior, but they may think twice the next time they do it. They may not do it again. A lot of times behavior that continues continues because it hasn't suffered any consequences of value to that person. Maybe a teacher in the past just kind of said, hey, I'm just going to give you a zero. And they're like, fine, I'll get a zero. And then I'll know that I'll still be able to pass the class. If you basically threat them, threaten them with failing the course, you know, whatever policy your school has in place, whatever you as the teacher has in place in your syllabus as a, as a, uh, plagiarism policy, that's stuff that you need to, you need to work out. But thankfully we do have some resources available, um, and services and software available to help us with online cheating. I think the more present that we are in the course, the more aware students are that we read things. If we comment on posts, if we're consistent about giving grading feedback, if we supply comments, that communicates to a student, hey, but you know, the hard reality is if a student is really adamant about cheating, they're going to do it. They're going to do it. And hopefully we can identify that. Uh, if it doesn't, if we aren't able to, which in, in the study that they did, some of the ones they weren't able to identify which ones. 
that's going to happen. That's the reality of the situation. But we could just sit back as educators and go, well, that's the reality. Oh, well. And then it just grows in massive, you know, uh, students are doing it all the time because no one's suffering any consequences for that. Or we could step up to the plate and say, yeah, I'm aware that this is going on. Yeah, I know students cheat. I know that they can copy paste stuff. So what can I do in my course to try to at least minimize some of that in my online course? What can I do? What responsibility do I have as an educator to try to, to handle that? And I realize with the growing rates of enrollment caps, I mean, our classes are increasing. We're getting more and more students assigned, especially in online classes. It's like, oh, well, it's an online class. Instead of 40 in-person students, you can, have, you can do 50. And it's like, well... <laughs> A good online course is just as challenging, just as time consuming, if not more, as a face-to-face. -face. But anyways, that particular article, take a look at it. Think about some things that you may or may not want to do, whether it be in your online course or in your face-to-face -face course. There are some things that you may want to consider doing in there, too, um, to help with the possibility of plagiarism or cheating. But anyways... Hopefully this is, was informative. It was, you know, made you think about a few things and then you will do whatever you need to do either in your thought processes or in your behaviors as an instructor or an educator or someone if you're an administrator who's listening to this, whatever your role is, you matter and you make a difference. So until the next episode, this was a very lengthy one. I'm trying not to go over 20 minutes, so I'm doing pretty good. All right, y'all. Have a good one. Bye.